This podcast is brought to you by the Kansas City Barbecue Store, the official provider of barbecue supplies to listeners of Pitmaster. And you don't want to miss out on this discount from the Kansas City Barbecue Store. From smokers and fuel to rubs and sauces, the Kansas City Barbecue Store has everything and anything you could possibly want. Make the Kansas City Barbecue Store your one-stop shop for all your outdoor cooking needs. As a listener of the OVS Pitmaster podcast, you can get 10% off of your order this spring by using the code PITPOD, P-I-T-P-O-D, all caps, for online orders at www.thekansascitybarbecuestore.com. This podcast is brought to you by BarbecueData.com. BarbecueData.com is your one-stop shop for all of your barbecue competition data. Historical data, calls, wins, placements, everything under one roof. It's a great way not only to track yourself in the standings, but also to track how you improve your scores from year to year. Listeners of this podcast can receive 20% off of a new subscription to BarbecueData.com with the code PITPOD. That's one word, all capital letters, P-I-T-P-O-D, PITPOD. So check your team scores, check on others, and do it all on BarbecueData.com. Welcome to another edition of Pitmaster, an old Virginia Smoke podcast. My name is Luke Darnell, the host of said podcast, and we're here today with a longtime friend of mine who's cooked all over the country as his as his work has taken him all over the place, Thomas Gearhart from Mudville Barbecue. How are you, my friend? I'm good, Luke, and I appreciate you having me on. It's an honor and a pleasure. Absolutely. It's and you were on recently during the uh, two-part wise <laughs> debacle, as I call it. Yeah, uh, that was a fun time. It was. I, you know, when I walked over to well, where y'all were sitting, uh, I didn't realize that you were uh, recording a podcast. But um, it was awesome to sit down, you know, with everybody around that around that cooler and share a couple drinks and a couple laughs and talk some barbecue. It was it was awesome. It was awesome until I listened to it, and I rarely listen to them because, um, well, that one especially, it was just kind of a shit show. It was all over the place. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it just sort of kept going, and um, and I kept drinking, and that was very evident. Yeah, I did notice that Kim cut you off around 10 o'clock. Yeah, she, yeah. well, she still has those rules, man. Like, yeah. I'm I'm supposed to be in bed by nine o'clock. I don't have to go to bed, but I have to be, or I have to go to sleep, but I have to be in bed. So yeah. So I want to rewind a little bit. You used to cook out here on the East Coast with us. I did back in uh, the Mid Atlantic Barbecue Association land. That was always a lot of fun. And then you upped and moved to California. Yeah. Um, back where you were originally from, correct? Yep, that's right. So I grew up in Northern California uh, in a town called Stockton, which is where the Mudville name comes from. Mudville was, or Stockton was called Mudville uh, when it was first founded. Um, And I started cooking in 2015. And uh, three years later, it was time to move back home closer to where my family is from and where my wife's family is from. And so I cooked out there for about five years. And then just last summer moved from Northern California out to, uh, Mount Juliet, Tennessee, near Nashville. That's incredible. And I know that you have some pretty awesome stuff that you're working on down in that region too. And we'll definitely get to that. But I kind of want to, I'm going to fast forward a little bit. You're in California. You win a contest, you qualify for the American Royal. And we're sitting there watching awards and Mudville wins the American Royal Invitational. That was such a cool experience. I just got goosebumps just even, <laughs> even. I remember that day. I remember that day as much as I remember any contest I've won. I do remember it specifically. Yeah, I appreciate that. It was um, it's surreal, obviously. Um, you know, I think uh, I think in a lot of ways, like I wasn't ready to win that contest. And uh, what I mean by that is like. Not so much um, that I didn't have the skill or the ability. I mean, if you look at if you look at my food that I turned in that day, and you look at the food that I turned in in my last contest, like there's 
there's very little difference. Like um, I'm still cooking the same rib recipe that I cooked when I won the, when I won the Royal. Um, so there's very little difference. And and what I mean by I wasn't ready is like, take any of the big contests, uh, the Royal, the Jack, any, you know, anything like that. And if you look at the history of people who have won that, those contests, if you look at their barbecue career, there's like a pretty good arc, right? They've established themselves for a very long period of time. They've probably cooked a hundred contests or more. Um, you know, they have maybe 10, 12, 20 grand championships. And so they've really, like I said, established themselves. And I hadn't done that. If you look at my barbecue career from 2015 to 2018, I cooked 10 total contests. <laughs> and then in 2019, the year that we won, I cooked 16 contests that year. We won our first grand championship and then to qualify to get to the Royal. And then we won the Royal. And so, like I said, in a lot of ways, I feel like I wasn't quite ready to win that contest yet when I did. And so I'm still catching up um, to try and, I don't know if uh, legitimize myself is the right word, but to try and kind of earn some of that uh, street cred and some of that equity uh, with, uh, you know, the barbecue community. And I, I think I've done that relatively well over the last couple of years. Absolutely. Absolutely. You had a win earlier this year in Wise, Virginia. That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and that, it was great that it was. I got to be there for that too. That was cool. <laughs> yeah, and and that's. I mean, that's a great segue into some of our questions because you have this huge success, and then to go from that going back to like regular contests. How do you man, maintain your confidence level when you say that you know you weren't quite ready to win that? Did it did it shock you, or were you able to just kind of to maintain your confidence when you were cooking? You do that segue again. I lost you there. I don't know if it was you oh. or me. Uh, probably was me. Uh, so uh, okay. that segues into a question about confidence. You know, you win this giant event, and then you yeah. go back and you're cooking a regular event. How? Uh, did you have a lot more confidence? Was it because you felt like you weren't ready to win that, that your confidence was shook a little bit or how did that, how did that transpire? Uh, that's a great question. I don't, I don't know if my confidence was shook. Um, I'd say I just tried to continue doing the same things I was doing before winning. Um, but I felt like I definitely felt like there were more people watching me. You know what I mean? Um, you know, before, like, you know, nobody knew who Mudville was. I ha I have this very nondescript white trailer. Uh, I didn't even have, I think I, maybe I had graphics and it was just like a logo. So it was very simple. Um, and so if I was at a contest, like you wouldn't necessarily know that I was there. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty quiet person. I don't, I don't tend to venture too far from my cook site, uh, very often at a contest. So like I said, if you don't, if you don't know me already, like you would never know that I'm there. So in terms of my confidence though, I, I don't think it really had a major impact um, on my, on my confidence. But you did, it, but people were watching more. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that, yeah. and I and could that feel could, it. Yeah. It could add a, a different level of pressure. Yeah, uh, for sure. I would say I, I didn't feel like, I didn't feel the pressure to where it impacted my cook until the next year at the Royal in 2021, when I was back after having won the year prior, you know, we missed it for, for the COVID year, obviously, but in 2021, I didn't really feel it, or I didn't really feel it until the Royal in 2021. Yeah. To come back into that situation as the defending champ. I mean, I hope I get to experience that someday. <laughs> I would love to feel what that's like. Yeah. Um, and let me tell you, I stunk it up too. <laughs> yeah. It's, but the, the Royal is such a different contest um, in terms of just the sheer amount of turn-ins and the sheer amount of people that you know are going to be right, you know? Yep. So I, I think it's the biggest event in barbecue and I really can't wait. It's what, six weeks from now? Yeah, I can't wait either. I know. I'm super excited to get back out there. So how has your career and life experiences outside of barbecue prepared you to be a pit master? Uh, great question. Um, 
I, I think I've used this uh, analogy before, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm a veteran. I served uh, almost seven years uh, in the U.S. Army. I was an infantry officer. Um, I spent three and a half years uh, in the old guard in Arlington, Virginia, which is what brought me to the mid-Atlantic uh, originally. Um, and so that profession requires a very uh, rigid attention to detail, um, a lot of discipline, uh, a lot of mental toughness. And so I think having that as a basis for, um, you know, the, the discipline that it takes in barbecue kind of set me up uh, maybe early for success because I was able to apply some of those same um, kind of foundations to, to barbecue. And that's a great point. Thank you for your service as well. And it's just having that discipline and having the ability to trust in your processes, I think probably, you know, is one of your strongest suits in terms of cooking. I yeah. also imagine just having spent some time with you that extremely organized trailers, extremely <laughs> clean, everything has its place. Um, I'm known to, uh, I'm known to mop the floor in the middle of a contest. Wow. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's impressive. Yeah. Um, that, you know, uh, people that have cooked with me have kept track of the number of times that I've vacuumed in the trailer during a contest and uh, all kinds of things. They they like to jab me a little bit uh, about my cleanliness, but it's an important part of what I do. So, Absolutely. And it should be a, a more important part of every, of what we all do. Um, <laughs> I, I went through a huge cleaning on Monday morning. I stayed at the cook site an extra night this past weekend and I woke up early and I said I've got nothing but time I'm just gonna take advantage of the trailer being here with a hose and cleaned everything and it yeah. really just made me feel better about myself <laughs> and it's like not only does it help well for me it helps during the contest helps to keep me focused because I don't have to worry about stuff all over the place but it, you know you mentioned like um, your trailer your equipment your pit whatever maintaining that and maintaining like the, the longevity of, of these investments that we all make is super important. And so the more you clean and maintain that equipment, you know, as time progresses, the longer it's going to last, the more use you're going to get out of it. That's funny. I had a conversation with Darren Worth last night about this. Um, she spent two days fixing stuff, both for his restaurant, but also for his competition trailer. And that is a huge, huge thing. I think that not a lot of people thinking about is taking care of your stuff yep. and making sure it's clean and making sure everything's operable. You don't want to get to, I had it happen this weekend. Uh, we were in new freedom, Pennsylvania, and I burnt up my piece of expanded metal in my Jambo threw it out. Said I'd get another one. Totally forgot. Even put it on a list. Forgot. Took the first day, kept losing my coal bed. And I'm like, I don't understand. Like, this is, <laughs> this hasn't happened in years. And then I realized what had happened and I was able to borrow another piece and I won the next day. And yeah. I'm like, oh, wow, really something that small. But it did make a huge difference in my fire. So that's a great learning point for anybody listening uh, from Thomas. Make sure you clean, make sure yeah. you maintain. Pit, ma pit maintenance and trailer maintenance is often overlooked, but it's it's so important. It's a huge thing, and people rarely put time for that. And yeah. I, I think, you know, this past weekend made me realize that I need to make more time for that because it is important. And I think just having a clean cooker is super important. Yep. Um, which, like, let's get off these heavy subjects a little bit. Let's get into some more fun subjects like uh gear and and stuff that we we get i yeah this is one of my favorite parts of barbecue is buying more barbecue stuff because <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's funny and it's fun and i have 85 cookers and that's okay yeah that's okay what's one of the best or most worthwhile investments that you've ever made in competition barbecue oh that's that could be a that's a long list um <laughs> i'd say uh you know, a lot of people say trailer, a lot of people say, you know, RV or something like that. I think, um, I think maybe one of the best was 
my first pit, which was just a char griller offset pit that I bought maybe in 2012 or something. And I fooled around with it in my backyard in Virginia. I did all the mods that you see on all the forums and like that taught me so much about um, how a pit works, uh, how to maintain a fire. Although I wasn't very good at it on that pit, maintaining that fire, but, uh, but I understood the basics of how to do it. Um, and so, and that really like launched my obsession with barbecue. And so even though it wasn't a big investment, um, it was a meaningful investment. Meaningful is, uh, man, maybe I need to change that. That's a great change to that question. Meaningful because, <laughs> because you're right. I do get a lot of the same answers. You know, everyone says trailer. Um, I have a trailer. I love cooking out of my trailer, but I also love not cooking out of my trailer. Yeah. I, I really have fun cooking out of a pop-up, assuming the weather's perfect and everything like that. But, um, yeah, meaningful. I'm going to make a note of that. Um, <laughs> that's cool. Your first pit was a char griller offset. Yeah. Man. It's the kind where, uh, you know, both halves open completely. So like yeah. there's no, there's no controlling heat inside that thing when that, you know, but <laughs> I tinkered with it and I had, you know, a hell of a good time cooking on it. And yeah, Mo- it great modifying day. those early cookers. Like I had two Weber Smoky Mountains that I just, I did everything too. They had the little, yeah, you just uh, Frankenstein it. Absolutely. It had oh, the yeah. hinges. It had the stainless steel doors. It had the, uh, the little uh, grommets for the for the guru probes to yeah. go through. I had it all. <laughs> that was part of the fun on cooking on cooking on uh, WSMs and you know some of those less expensive uh, pits is that you can you can modify it and not worry that you're going to ruin something and have a little fun with it. Right. Whereas having a jambo or a drum, <laughs> it's a little right. bit more expensive to yeah. start putting holes in it. <laughs> exactly. Those are all kind of expensive things. Do you have a purchase of a hundred dollars or less that has most positively impacted your barbecue life? Uh, I've got a couple. The first uh, is I have these. Um, they're like I don't know eight or nine inch um, Q-tips on a wooden um, a wooden stick. Yeah. But the but the cotton at the end is pointed, and it's for like cleaning rifles or cleaning models or something like that but it's perfect for getting down in like the crevices of your kale bed or, you know, in between your pieces of meat for whatever you need to clean up uh, on your box. So I really like those. I uh, hate you for bringing that up because <laughs> Kim's going to listen to this and be like, we need these. <laughs> I'll send you the link. Awesome. Uh, they're, they're really great. Um, and then uh, I have a, a baby bottle warmer um, that is the exact right size to fit the blues hog squeeze bottles. And no so, it, it, I mean, Luke, there's, there must be an eighth of an inch between the, the lid on the blues hog bottle and the cap of the, uh, of the baby bottle warmer. It's like they were made for each other. Um, <laughs> and so when I'm, when I need to warm sauce up and I only warm chicken sauce, but uh, when I need to warm it up, I drop the bottle in there with a little bit of water, turn it on. Uh, and let it sit for about 10 minutes and it gets just hot enough, uh, to kind of change the viscosity of the sauce. So it's, it's where I need it. Uh, but I don't have to deal with oil pans or, you know, hot pots or any of that stuff. I just drop it in there, push the button and off it goes. And that was, I think I paid like 40 bucks for that. That's amazing. And the blues hog sauce bottle fits perfectly. It's perfectly in there. (laughs) That's great. Hey, you're a drum cooker, right? I am now. Yeah, I just started cooking on drums. Um, I've been cooking brisket on a drum since um, early 2019, and then this year, at the beginning of the season, started cooking chicken on the drum. And then the last three contests, I've done all drums. Um, I was cooking on Humphreys before. That's right. They also make amazing cookers. Um, Incredible. Yeah, lots of, I need to get down and see Leanne so I can cook on Old Blue. She has, still has it down there. So <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it stayed in the family, and now there's always something down there at her house if I want to cook on something. And it just, 
whenever I go down there and cook on it, it just brings back really great memories. And yeah, I love running that style of cabinet water smoker. I still hate cleaning that style of. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I still got my two pits down in the garage. Uh, I'll probably cook on them eventually uh, here at the house, but um, for me, I just, you know, they're amazing products and, and Chad and Nicole are amazing people. Uh, but I just felt like, you know, I was using the gurus on them and, uh, it was set and forget. And I just wasn't feeling connected to my cooks anymore. And I, and I couldn't tell whether or not I was going to have a good or a bad product at the end to turn in because I just, like I said, I wasn't connected to it. I had no, there was, there was, it was just put it in and let it go and follow my timeline. Do you think that that is a result of, just the cooker being so just so predictable that it just became kind of rote for you to, because that's how I felt cooking on the backwoods. It was like, okay, yeah. I'm going to start it at this time and I know I have to get up at this time. And it just became this thing that I did and it wasn't really active. Yeah. Um, they're, they're too good. Right. <laughs> like, they're, they're too efficient and, and they, you know, they maintain temperature too well uh, to where you don't even have to worry about it. And like, you, like I said, you lose that connection with your food and, and, you know, that's an important part of what we do. Absolutely. And as I think when I switched over to the offset that it had the same effect on me, it was like, okay, this isn't going to be the same every time. And that's, that's a good thing. I yeah. think and just, it allows you to cook more rather than just follow a, follow a timeline. Yeah. Let's switch gears into people a little bit. Who has impacted your life the most in competition barbecue? Ooh, the most. I probably got a few answers for this. Um, I'll start with uh, a genie. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I met him when I moved to California and started cooking out there and I had an opportunity to serve on the board of directors of the California barbecue association with him. He was the president for a couple of years while I was on there. And just in terms of, um, having the, like learning how to be a leader of an organization, how to put the organization, um, ahead of your own needs and, and lead with integrity, like watching him for those two years was an incredible opportunity and, uh, very thankful for that opportunity to to learn from him. Um, it was it was it was amazing. Uh, all all the people that I served with uh, on that board were were great, but Steph in particular. Um, and then uh, I'm gonna f- I feel like I'm name dropping. Um, you know, I talked about I, I think I've told you this before, but um, uh, you know, being able to navigate, um, af- you know, kind of the what my life was going to be like after winning the royal. Uh, Sterling ball really helped me, uh, in that whole process. Um, you know, he didn't have to reach out to me like he did. And he's really become a, a friend and mentor, uh, over the last several years. Um, you know, he, he'd been there and done that. And so he knew exactly what I was going through and, uh, and I wouldn't have been able to, you know, kind of successfully navigate that without his, his tutelage. Um, he helped keep me grounded. He helped keep me focused. Um, he let me know that, you know, there are more important things than barbecue, which after winning a contest like that, it's really easy to become enamored with barbecue and that's all you want to do. Um, but he, he helped remind me that there are many more important things. Um, and then last but not least, uh, you have had a huge impact on, <laughs> on my barbecue life. Um, I've told you this story many times before. My first contest was DC 2015. I think you RGC'd it. And I'm sitting there with my friends at awards and I felt like they called your name a hundred times. And I turned to them and I was like, I want to cook like that, dude. Uh, you, you were the reason that I went and bought a Humphreys because you were cooking on Humphreys at the time. Oh man. Um, and you know, when I was living out there, I wanted to cook at contests where Luke was cooking, uh, because I wanted to cook against the best. And, uh, you know, everyone's got their barbecue heroes and, you know, you were mine and, and still are. <laughs> and you're one of mine. I mean, I it's, 
It's yeah, that's awesome, man. Very humbling. You made me tear up on my own podcast. That's bad. <laughs> oh man, wow, that's a that's a list that see that I don't think that I should be on. <laughs> but and thank you very much. That is yeah. that is very uh, that's very cool. When you hear the word successful in terms of barbecue, a little bit of a different twist on that question. Who's the first person that comes to mind? This is yeah. This is hard. Yeah, it's a it's a hard one because I think I need to change this one too. Like, and you and I always have very smart conversations, so I don't mind doing it on the podcast. Like, this one's hard because what do you mean by successful? You know, yeah. are, are we talking about business wise? Are we talking about just competition wise? There's so many different avenues that you can answer on this one. Yeah, let me try and answer this way. Um, so, going back to what I kind of what I just mentioned is something that Sterling always told me about. There's there's things that are more important than barbecue. When I look at uh, someone who is successful uh, in their kind of personal and professional life and in competition barbecue, I think of Brett from BMAC and barbecue. Um, who's an amazing pit master. Uh, he's also a teacher. He's been teaching for more than 20 years. He teaches ninth grade geography. Wow. Uh, he's a father. He's a husband. Uh, he's an excellent friend. And so when I think of success and his ability to balance all of those things and do them all very well at a very high level, uh, to me, that's that's a, a successful person in, in barbecue. That's an incredible answer, man. You're right. It's, And I think about this all the time, especially what I call life barbecue balance. Yeah. Because um, it's a real thing. And you see guys go out there, especially the first time you see somebody go out there and try and cook 35 contests in a year because they're hot and they want to keep rolling. And I really try and give a lot of advice to those guys in terms of you got to build in weeks off. You got to take time away from it. You're going to burn out. You're going to burn out more than just cooking barbecue. It's going to become so routine. You're just, you're going to start missing steps, but you're also going to burn out your brain. You're going to burn out your wallet and you're going to, you're just going to be tired. So having you're going to burn out I mean, your relationships. Absolutely, it, your relationships outside of barbecue. Yeah, yeah. The one year we cooked thirty-eight contests, I think I don't think I saw my friends that year, mm-hmm. and uh, they quit inviting me to things because I was driving to some contests out in the middle of nowhere. And after that year, and having to take a step back and really look at it, I said you know what, you need that side of your life to keep you balanced, to be successful at this. And I think, especially from the rest side, and that's what I'm trying to teach uh, some of these younger guys, like you have to have time for your family, for yourself, and that'll make you better. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Man, this is getting to be a great podcast already. (laughs) Let's get into it. You already mentioned vacuuming and mopping. Yeah. Yeah. What other habits or rituals or routines or I've, this has got to be a great answer. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it might surprise you. Um, I'd say like in the last, you know, last several years, I was very, I had a, a very strict routine um, in the week leading up to a contest and what I did on Friday and what I did on Saturday and Saturday morning. Um you know, I used to uh, pick up my meats on a certain day. I used to trim my meats on a certain day. Uh, I was one of those weirdos that trimmed chicken at a contest. So I would trim chicken Friday night. Yeah. Uh, but it was part of the routine, right? And it was part of it. So I would trim chicken Friday night and we would watch um, Wedding Crashers in the trailer uh, every contest. <laughs> and if we, were, if we were cooking a double, we watched it Friday night and Saturday night. Like it was that was part of what we did and it had to be part of what we do. Um, however, in the last, this year specifically, um, I've gotten away from um, kind of doing those same things on the same days every time. And um, 
when I'm, when I'm able to, I do them a little bit ahead of time so that it's already done or, you know, um, uh, you know, you kind of, you get to it when you can kind of thing. So like, um, I used to always trim ribs on Tuesday nights. Now I'll trim them on Saturday if I, if I have the time and if I want to, or I'll trim them on Sunday. It doesn't really matter to me. You go on the vacuum right. sealer and they, they go on the fridge. It really doesn't make a difference. Um, so that's my life in barbecue used to be much more, uh, kind of routine based. Um, now it's, it's a little bit less, uh, although I do still have a couple little quirks, um, uh, for Friday and Saturday that I, <laughs> that I do. Well, are you going to get into it or no? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, I always eat a breakfast burrito Saturday morning. I make, I make like, uh, I make them like 10 at a time and freeze them ahead of time and bring them to a contest. So I always have a breakfast burrito for, for breakfast. Um, I can't, I can't really think of anything else that I do currently. That's really like, you know, kind of routine or part of a superstition other than what I normally do as part of my process and my timeline. Um, I've been wearing the same shoes recently uh for every cook um trying to think you know i used to uh i used to be very i mean i used to be very particular i would wear the same shirt friday and then i had a shirt for saturday morning and i had a shirt for awards i don't do any of that anymore uh yeah i used to have four flags that i would always fly on the trailer it was a american flag an army ranger flag and two mudville flags I haven't flown the flags in like a year and a half. Um, so I just, you know, Man. Yeah, all that, yeah, all that stuff. T- I felt like all that stuff was taking up time and like mental capacity and bandwidth. Sure. And, and if it had no impact on the cook, like I can get rid of that stuff and I can use that, you know, capacity that I regained uh, for something more constructive. Right. And see, there's no more embarrassing answer to that question than mine. So, you know, the whole favorite underwear thing, like, it's just not going <laughs> to. No there's one no can top that answer. There's no bad answers there. I mean, this past weekend was the Fruit Loops, which have won several times. There you um, go. And I didn't even do it on purpose. It's just, they're there. And I was like, okay, we'll, we'll roll like this. Yeah. <laughs> Do you listen to music while you cook? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I love music. Uh, um, and actually, I listen to more than music when we cook. Uh, I am a huge uh, Marty and McGee fan. I don't know if you know Marty and McGee. Uh, they, oh. have a, they have a show Saturday mornings on the SEC Network. Um, they're both writers for ESPN. They, they cover college football. They cover college basketball. So it's a sports-oriented uh, talk show on Saturday mornings. Uh, it starts at 7 a.m. Eastern, so it's perfect timing. First thing in the morning, it's a four-hour show. I have that on in the trailer. And then when that show's over, then I start to to crank up the music. And, um, you know, I, I listen to a lot of different stuff. Growing up in California, you know, I had exposure to a lot of a lot of great music out there. I listened to uh, some punk, some old-school hip-hop, some classic rock. Uh, it's kind of all in there. Yep, sounds a lot like the old Virginia Smoke List. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had a request to make a Spotify playlist. Oh, you uh, should. And I, I think I'm going to. I'll have to curate that a little bit. Yeah. In terms of, like, there's certain songs on our playlist that are reserved strictly to chase people out of the trailer. Yeah. Um, just make them so uncomfortable that, <laughs> <laughs> that they're like, wow. Like, I just look at Kim and wink at her, and she'll put on that song, and people, okay. I gotta go. Yeah. Like, there we go. But like, <laughs> uh, music's an important component of, at least I feel like it is for me, uh, because it puts you in a rhythm. Um, Absolutely. And everything that we do is timing based and rhythm based. And so when you have that familiar cadence, that familiar beat on in your trailer or in your, in your pop-up, then you, you feel like, you know, you're in the right groove and things are going as they should. I want to build on that because I think it's important. Um, so we've had the same five or six songs for each meet. Okay. 
So 10.35 or 11.35 when Chicken comes off the drum, first song is Notorious B.I.G. Juicy. Yep. And, like, we know. Like, you start doing association with things that you need to be doing with what song's on. And, like, I know that now, and we changed our whole chicken process this weekend, so now I don't know how that all goes, so I still have to look at that. <laughs> but but we know it's chicken time, and we know what we're looking for. And then each meat, again, like, when pork's going in the box, can I get a what what from Jay-Z comes on, and, like, Man, like that's my most stressful time in the trailer, but I have that song there to to get me through it. So yeah, man, I think that's a good, there's a huge thing, a huge thing. There's a huge subconscious element to it. Like you don't even realize how important some of those things are, and music is one of those things that's critically important if it's a part of what you do normally. If it's not a part of what you do, then you know you don't really need to worry about it. But that was the hardest thing about Barbecue USA. Oh, is we yeah. weren't allowed to have it on and <laughs> trying to trying to get into my brisket mood and I can't listen to Salt Shaker by the Yin Yang Twins. <laughs> I'm angry. <laughs> but like that song is a good example. You know, Shake It Like a Salt Shaker. My nemesis in barbecue has always been too salty of a brisket. Yeah. And that song is on there not only because it has a killer beat but it also puts salt in my head and to be, you know, cognizant of that. Right. Um, man, I could do a whole podcast going through the meaning, the meanings of every song for every meet. Maybe I'll do that sometime. Put that on the list. Yeah. Yeah. That might be fun. <laughs> we love to talk. This is my favorite question, by the way. We love to talk about, you know, what we all want and how great we are and everything. But I like to talk about failures. Do you have a favorite failure of yours during a contest that really set you up for success later? Um, well, first of all, I fail all the time when I cook. Uh, I fail more than more often than I don't. Um, but define that. Oh man, I just feel it. You know, whether it's um, you know, whether it's putting together a complete cook, right? So um, more often than not. I can usually count on a great chicken box and a great rib box and the pork and the brisket uh, are sometimes a toss up. And so, you know, I might have great success in the first two meets, but damn it, I fell on my face, you know, in the last two meets. Um, uh, you know, um, not having the result that I want overall. Sure. Uh, and And coming home and, you know, just feeling like, damn it, you know, like, <laughs> oh, anyway, so I fail all the time, but I, I think there are two. The first one that comes to mind is it was either 2017 or 2018 at the barbecue jamboree. Uh, I, it was the first year they had the double. Yeah. That 2018, maybe whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, either 17. I can't remember. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Matt Kennard, you remember Matt Kennard? Absolutely. So he had come up to cook with me and the night before we were loading, uh, the Humphreys and it was either me or him that, um, loaded the charcoal basket, slid it in. Uh, and then we were done our prep for the night. So following morning, um, like the pits cook is going fine. It's time to put chicken in. Um, and at the time, my process was put chicken in, and then I'd throw a couple of chunks in the in the firebox. So I said, hey, Matt, here, take a couple of wood chunks and throw them in the fire firebox. So he opens the firebox door and slides the, the uh, firebox out. Well, I hadn't hooked it on the rails the night before. And oh, so no. the entire firebox dumped out of the pit. And all the coals and everything were on the ground. So I have no heat in the pit. My coals and my fire are all over the, all over the grass. Uh, I did the only thing I could think, which was we grabbed, um, like a pair of tongs and a couple of foil pans and we tried to scoop together whatever remaining coals we could get 
back into the firebox and slide it back into the cooker. So we did that. Wow. Finished the, finished the cook. I think we got third or fourth in chicken. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so that, that failure, uh, kind of taught me, uh, you know, trust, but verify and check and recheck. Like it's my responsibility as the cook to make sure everything is the way it should be. Right. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so that, that was a fun, that was a fun awards, uh, when we got that call. Uh, Matt and I just looked at each other and smiled and high fived and got a little <laughs> chicken trophy for it. A little uh, tiny Fredericksburg yeah. trophy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and then the other one is, uh, this one hurt. It hurt bad. Um, Murphy's out in California. 2021 i think i think it was 2021 finished the cook it was as good as it usually is i didn't i didn't think one way or the other uh come to awards um actually i take that back brisket wasn't wasn't great um and i didn't feel good about it so awards come around i think we got first in chicken first in ribs second in pork and I completely shit the bed and brisket. I think we were wow. dead last, close to dead last, and it cost me the contest. Um, and so that kind of kicked off my my brisket revolution. Um, and I really focused very hard for the next several years um, to become a better brisket cook. Um, and I'm still not a great brisket cook, but I'm better than I was. It's the hardest meat to get. And yeah. It, I mean, each one is so different. And That's what have, it is. They're so different. I mean, depending on the marbling and depending on things that you'll never know about in terms of like, did that cow like to run around? Did that cow like to stand? And, <laughs> I mean, you know, it, and they're all so different. And I think it's really what it comes down to. And this is stealing from Scully because I just re listened to that that wives podcast and he said you know the most important there's an hour that's the most important times for each meet and it's the last 30 minutes it's on the pit last 30 minutes that it's in the trailer what you do with it in terms of finishing and how you finish it finish the cook yep and i think that's so important especially when it comes to brisket and figuring out when is the exact right time to pull that thing to make sure that you have just amazing tenderness. That's the key. You're going to yep. do well in brisket if you have great tenderness. For sure. So, yeah. And so you made that your mission for two years, huh? Yeah. I cooked a lot of briskets at home. I cooked a lot of bad briskets at home. I cooked a lot of bad briskets in contests. Um, and just, you know, it just takes time and it just takes repetitions to get it right. Yep. A hundred percent. And, and I think that goes even just cooking them for fun and cooking them for people. Like you can still, you can make a brisket for someone just for like a party or something and you can apply your comp stuff to it. Still the same muscle yep. may not be a steak river gold may not be an A9, but you can still, still just focus on making it perfect. And I try, I've started doing that for the food truck and catering. Just mm-hmm. trying to make it perfect. And it's really helped me because I went through a lull here this year in brisket and hated it. Hated every second of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's cool, man. We've, we feel like we could talk for an hour or more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we'll have to do a part two, but I definitely have to ask you these uh, rapid fire questions because they're super fun and Let's I'm really it. excited about it. What do you see about barbecue on social media that upsets or bothers you? I have been dying to answer this question for the <laughs> longest time. Okay. The, the, okay. I got two. Uh, the first one, and people send me these all the time because they know I hate it. It's when someone cuts into a brisket and squeezes it into the camera. It's I the worst. Cannot, oh, it's the worst thing ever. And Brett, who I mentioned earlier is the worst about it. He sends me those clips all the time. He's like, Hey, check this out. And I click on it and damn it. It's somebody squeezing a brisket. So I hate when people do that. I, I, just, I think it's, so, and, 
and I know what they're trying to do. Like they're 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 proud of what they accomplished and they want to share it and they want to spread it. But like, damn it, I don't want to watch that. Uh, right. So so that's one. Uh, that one's kind of lighthearted. Um, the other one, it, this one doesn't so much bother me, but uh, um, I just wish maybe people would. Um, I don't know. Not so much think like I do, but uh, when people post pictures of their box. And the reason is, my opinion is that the way that box looks is between you and the judges and no one else. And no one else needs to see it. You can absolutely be proud of what you've done and proud of what you have accomplished and proud of how your box looked and, and share it with your family and friends and share it with the cooks around you. I've, I've shared pictures of my boxes with, with other cooks. If they ask or if they want to share one with me, then I'll, I'll reciprocate. But when they put it on social media, you're putting it out there uh, for other people to criticize you. So it has nothing to do with like me thinking critical of, of that box. It has more to do with you've opened yourself up for criticism when you don't need to, in my opinion. I agree, but I'll also take it a step further. Uh, not only is every barbecue cook on social media, so is every barbecue judge. Mm-hmm. And... There's no way to police this or anything, but I I don't think I've ever posted a box on social media. I'm sure someone will go see that I did somewhere down the line. Um, but I just think that if you're showing somebody what you're doing and then they see that box the next weekend, you know, I don't know. I just don't, yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> that's yeah. my number. That's how I answer that question. A couple of years uh, ago, uh, I got a bunch of cooks out in Cali to post all of our best worst boxes on social media. So we, we went back through our cook history and found the absolute worst box we had and posted that. I think I posted a, a pork box that looked like dog food uh, on social media. So, Oh man, I will send you later our first uh, KCBS red box. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, it is. And it finished like 14th. And I still don't know, like, what judge looked at that box. <laughs> this guy, my, this I remember my first barbecue contest. Oh, my yeah. gosh. It's, it's yeah. hilarious what we used to do. Um, that's a great idea. Do you have a favorite pre, during, or post-competition meal? Uh, well, I mentioned the, the breakfast burritos. Um, I don't have a favorite pre-contest meal Friday night I'll, I'll kind of do whatever based on where I'm at if there's you know something close by um, I'll, I'll usually go out uh, if there's if there's not I'll, you know I'll bring something to make um, post contest um, usually like pizza or Chinese food is what I like after a contest yeah um, you know those are staples uh, uh, after contest but I also like um, you know, something that a lot of people don't know about contests is all the food that cooks cook during contests. That is not what they turn in. So you've got Childs and his scotch eggs. You've got uh, Seven Sins out in California. He does pork steak bagels. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, so like uh, Sterling has his uh, uh, hot pepper jelly pigs in a blanket. Um, so those are the things that I like about contests when it comes to food is the stuff that cooks make that's not what they're turning in that they share with people. It's usually the best food at the contest. Yeah. Uh, every year at the Royal, we get to go over to Sterling's and have, uh, have tacos that James whipped up that afternoon. It's such a, an amazing meal. Yeah. Uh, the, the Texas guys throw together this feast and Oh my God. Like I'm, I eat so much food at the Royal that I rarely bring anything anymore because <laughs> some, on Sunday morning, sometimes I'll end up with like five breakfasts sitting there on the table. And I'm like, I don't even know how to yeah. attack this. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, it's good seeing people's uh, other talents outside of barbecue. For sure. Do you have a favorite present that you like to give to people? Uh, I like to give people a knife. Um, nice. and it doesn't have to be something expensive. There are a lot of great, uh, reasonably priced knives out there. Uh, but I like to give a knife. I also like to give books. Um, 
if I know a little bit, a little bit about somebody and, and maybe their personality and what their interests are, I like to give, a, like to give a book. I love books. That's my, uh, it's been my go-to recently. Yeah. And I love giving them to teenagers. They're like, oh, there you what, go. Have you, what have you done? <laughs> yeah. I'm like read it. You'll <laughs> like, <laughs> if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, getting a message out to millions or billions, what would it say and why? Um, I mentioned uh, Marty McGee earlier. So Marty Smith, one of the things he always says is lead with kindness. That's something that I tell my kids. Uh, and just those three simple words uh, can be very meaningful and have a very big impact. Uh, so lead with kindness. That's what, that's what it would say. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think we need more of that in the, in the world today. Yeah. And it can apply to so many different situations and scenarios and it doesn't matter what you're talking about. Absolutely. Thomas, this has been great, man. I feel like, feel like we went deep on some stuff. That's cool. (laughs) I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Uh, I can't wait to see you in a few weeks. It's going to be amazing, man. I just, uh, I took my truck in today to get some service done just because I know I've got the drive coming up. I'm taking my pit this year to Kansas City. Oh, wow. Uh, taking the J3, um, trying to work through some stuff and maybe get it wrapped before I get there. Just to, I've always wanted to be, be the guy there with the really pretty jambo. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if I can make that happen one time. But um, can't wait to get out there. Uh, where can people find you online? Uh, at Mudville Barbecue BBQ on Instagram, Facebook, and MudvilleBBQ.com. Excellent, man. Well, I can't wait to see you, and uh, safe travels, my friend. Thanks, Luke. You too. Appreciate it. Yep. Thank you for listening to Pitmaster, an old Virginia smoke podcast. Be sure to subscribe and like the podcast, rate the podcast, and share it out with all your friends. Also, be sure to check out the old Virginia smoke YouTube channel as well. Tune in next week for another great episode of Pitmaster. For companies interested in advertising, please contact Old Virginia Smoke directly via www.oldvirginiasmoke.com. Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast, is edited by Chris Sedenka. Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast, is a property of Old Virginia Smoke, LLC. All rights reserved. Old Virginia.